And believe me, I think I'm on that other part because I've been shocked a whole bunch of times over the years. But someone else also said the last words of a redneck are, hey, watch what happens when I plug this in. Now, again, I'm not an electrician. I've never been an electrician. But I know that electricity is something you've got to, be, you've got to know what you're doing to mess with it. Now, I was in the electrical business for a number of years, and so I, I had the opportunity to work with some guys that knew what they were doing, but they figured out real quick I didn't. But anyway, it's, uh, I probably know maybe just a slightly more than the average person because I don't know a lot about it, but at the same time, it's, it's something I know to watch out for. But most houses are wired for both 110 volts and 220 volts. Your small appliances like lights and thing, appliances, lights, electronics run on 110 volts. We've got that here in this church. But the larger units like your air conditioner that we're so glad to have, your stove, clothes dryer, and things like that, they're wired for 220 volts. They produce more energy, so they need more power. The plugs look different, so you can't accidentally plug one into the other one. But if you were able to it would burn up the appliance in seconds. If you could plug a 110-volt hairdryer into a 220-volt plug, it wouldn't take you long to notice the difference. It would run on super high speed for a few seconds, like a turbocharged hairdryer. Then you'd start to see smoke coming out of it, and it would die forever. It's fried. On the other hand, if you were to, apply, to plug a 220-volt stove, plug into a 110 outlet, you'd only get about one quarter of the output from the unit. It would be weak and underpowered. Your food would never cook on that setting. There's a spiritual parable that we can look here in this for us. A person who tries to live the Christian life by his or her own strength is like the burned out hair dryer or the underpowered stove, either way. They surge ahead for a, at a frantic pace for a short burst, and then they burn out. Doesn't that sound like a lot of Christians we know? It happens all the time. We see people come into the church, and, boy, they're on fire, and they just do this and they do that, and then six months later they burn out. They don't have the correct power feeding them. Or they just suffer from a lack of power and never achieve God's intended purpose in their lives. God wired us for 220, but not 220 volts. He wired us for Galatians 220. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read that verse together. This is one of the most important verses, I believe, in the entire Bible. When we grasp what this verse says, we've got a hold on what God's trying to do in our lives. Listen to what this verse says. Paul writes in verse 20 of chapter 2 of Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us to come before you. And, Lord, we thank you for each one that's in our presence today. And, Lord, we just ask that your, your presence would be here also. And, Lord, be in our hearts and in our minds today as we look at this verse and break this verse down, what it really says to us. Because, Lord, so many times we just bypass things in the, in the Word of God and we read over them real quickly. We don't stop to think of what this says. Lord, I believe this verse is the key 
to many of us understanding what God wants us to be and do. Go with us over these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, that verse says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christopher Columbus, in case you're not aware, did not invent America. He discovered America. It was already here before he started sailing around. In my experience, the Christian life is, the, is full of wonderful discoveries. If you hadn't found some of them yet, you, you just read your Bible. You're amazed at how God has given us so many gifts and so many things that just help us through the challenges of everyday life. The same, I discovered the same God who loves me so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for me. Also, I discovered this. If I will put my trust and faith in him totally... All my sins could be forgiven, and I would have eternal an eternal home in heaven one of these days. Hopefully not very soon, but it may be. Those are pretty amazing discoveries if you think about it. But so many people have not discovered, even some that claim to be Christians, have not yet discovered of all the great benefits you and I have as being a Christian. We need to discover that the Christian life is not me trying to imitate Jesus, but that Jesus lives in me, as Paul said, and wants to live his life through me. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants Jesus in us being the motivating factor of our lives. One of the greatest Christian minds of the 20th century understood this truth. C.S. Lewis wrote, When Christians say Christ is in them, They do not mean simply something mental or moral. This is not simply a way of saying that they are thinking about Christ or copying him. They mean that Christ is actually operating through them. I agree with that statement. C.S. Lewis was a brilliant mind of a scholar, a biblical scholar. Some of the greatest writings to this day, C.S. Lewis wrote them. Over the next few minutes, I want to dissect this amazing little verse that we've read probably hundreds of times, and share with you how to apply it in your life. We're going to talk about the executed life, the exchanged life, but also the energized life. You say, well, where'd you come out of all that with? Well, that's what Paul said, if you listen to what he said a few minutes ago. Number one, Paul says, I personally have been crucified with Christ. Wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Jesus was on the cross by himself. The other two thieves hanging between him, but on the other sides of him. That's not what we're talking about. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. The executed life. Paul wrote that in Christ we died. We didn't die physically, we died to self and to sin. When you came to know Jesus Christ, Jesus asked you to die. Now, obviously we're sitting here today, so we didn't physically die. But we've got to die to ourselves, our desires, my wants, my desires, the things I want to do. We've got to die to many of those. We have made the cross today into a religious symbol. But the cross 
at biblical days was always and will always be a mode of execution. That's what it is. It would be similar if today, of course, I know they don't do uh, electric chairs anymore, but if we had an electric chair, piece of jewelry, and wore around it, that would be the same thing. When somebody in the Bible days saw somebody going across, they knew what was happening. That person was going to be put to death very shortly. They were on the way to their place where they were going to be crucified. They were carrying that cross as humiliation. And it was one of the most humiliating examples of torture that you could do. Most of the time, they stripped the people. And by the way, there were women executed too this way. And they would strip them of all their clothing to humiliate them even more so. But don't misunderstand. The cross was always a means of execution. It was not just a cute little jewelry piece. Now, I like a cross. I wear a cross. But I remind myself daily that that's not really what it is. I like it as a piece of jewelry. I wear it as something that people see because I enjoy the cross, if you will. But that's not what the intended purpose was ever for. It was a mode of execution. It was the lethal injection during the time of Paul, if you will. Paul wrote this. The cross of Christ was a double cross. First, Jesus was crucified for our sins, but also the cross represents we were crucified with him. What are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. Paul used the past tense, the past tense verb. He didn't say, I will be crucified or I am being crucified. He said, I was crucified. So Paul is saying, when I became a Christian, I gave up my personal desires, my personal ambitions, my personal things that were opposite to what God wanted me to have. In other words, Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. Because of his teachings and because of what he said to us, we began to understand that this is not just a cross. This is a life that he's talking about here. Let's go a little farther. Again, he didn't say, I will be crucified or I am being crucified. It was something that had already happened in Paul's life. At a murder scene, detectives try to determine the time of death. Paul says our time of death was 2,000 years ago with Christ on the cross. This is not self-crucifixion. That's not what we're talking about. It's not a picture of us climbing onto a cross just like Jesus died upon every morning. It's something that has already happened to us, and we just need to accept it. What are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, Paul writes, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Did you catch that? When you accepted Christ, you died to your old life. We have this baptism up here. We have baptism ever so often. In fact, we had it last Wednesday night. And we have baptism, and all that represents the going down and the coming up of the water. Is that, number one, Jesus Christ told us to. We had a little boy just Wednesday night, Cash. Uh, you know who Cash is around here, uh, James Powell's grandson, James and Faye's grandson. He was baptized Wednesday night. His mother wanted to be here. She works on weekends, goodness. I said, well, I don't think the Bible tells us we can't do it on Wednesday nights. So we did. So it just if you find that, let me know. But it, uh, I don't think it's in there. But anyway, we had baptism Wednesday night. And I was telling the people that were here, we had uh, probably 25, I'm not sure how many we had, 25 people here Wednesday night. 
And it, I was telling them that Cash, or James had called me one day, and he said, uh, Cash wants to come out and talk to you. I said, well, sure. So I was at the office one day, and he, him and James came in and brought him in. He sat at the table, and he didn't say a word. And I said, well, did you want to talk to me? I mean, what do you want? <laughs> and he said, well, I want to be baptized. And I thought, oh, boy. Now I've got to go through all the other processes and so forth. I said, well, let me ask you one question. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I did. I did it during vacation Bible school. Oh, okay. That makes it all right then. <laughs> and so we talked a little bit, and I said, well, why would you want to be baptized? And his words were, Jesus told me to. That's as good an answer as you can get, folks. <laughs> so we had baptism service Wednesday night, and Cash was baptized. And just a great young man. And so y'all be in prayer for him, number one but also for their family. Miss Faye's having a lot of health issues, most of you know, and so be in prayer for, for them as they go through that time. But it's baptism represents somebody that's living, being buried, and raised up again just like Jesus did. It's a picture of what happened to Jesus. That's why Jesus tells us we need to be baptized. As Baptists, we believe in being emerged and coming back up. And so that's what the picture is. It's nothing more than that. You don't have to be baptized. But Jesus tells you to. So what do you want to do? Obey yourself or you want to obey Jesus? Jesus says you need to be baptized. Likewise, be baptized, he says. And so that's why we have a baptism here. That's why we have baptism ever so often. And it's in several in this room have been baptized. But Colossians 3, 2 and 3 again says, Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, he doesn't say you died physically. You died to that old life. And that's what baptism is. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And because Jesus did that, we can have that life. A dead man isn't interested in the things of this world. Do you agree? He could care less because he's dead. Let's take a corpse. and Let's get us a chair. We'll prop him up on the stage. You can ask him, you want a million dollars? That corpse isn't going to say a word. He won't even give you an answer of anything. Parade an entire column of temptation in front of him. Sex, booze, lying, cheating, stealing, all the things that we know on this earth. That won't tempt him one bit. Why? Because he's dead to the world. That's exactly what Paul's saying to us and what Colossians just said. Is that we as Christians ought to be dead to the world and the temptations of the world. It doesn't attract us anymore because we have now accepted Jesus Christ, and that's our motivating characteristics. That's what we ought to be focusing on. We still have a physical life, but when it comes to sin's power over us, we're dead. Did you realize that once you get saved, power has no sin over you other than what you allow it to have? Because we've died to sin. We're not that way anymore. I don't know how you are, but my life changed drastically when I got saved. It just totally changed. Not overnight. It took me to, and I'm still growing. And each day I discover new things that God says in His Word, and I think, well, I need to work on that area of my life. But what we're saying is as Christians, we grow and we learn more about God. That's why we have church. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have Bible studies and so forth, so we can all learn together. We're doing the book of Revelations on Sunday nights. You're invited. Come join us tonight. We have a good time. We're just starting this. You're not too late. 
we're in about the, I think we made it to three verses last week. So that's how slow we're going. So at this rate, in probably 2095, we'll finish it. But we want to take it and go through it slowly because I believe that's a very important book. Everybody says, well, I need to learn about revelations. First of all, it's not revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. All the book of Revelation is about is Jesus Christ and what's going to take place. Come join us tonight. We'd love to have you. Even if you're just visiting with us, come on out. Anyway, let's move along. Paul wrote in Romans 6, verse 11, that we are to reckon ourselves dead into sin. Indeed, let me start that over. We are to reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. As you, are you crucified with Christ? Every day you should say, I reckon so. That's what he just told us today, wasn't it? I reckon we have been crucified with Christ, but every day we must renew our death certificate. Do what? Paul faced many dangers, but he, he didn't mind because you can't hurt a dead man. And Paul considered himself in this life to be dead to physical temptations, to physical abuses and so forth. Paul went through many horrendous things that would have killed most people. But Paul reckoned himself dead to any temptations. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if we got to that point where I didn't have temptations anymore. It just didn't interest me anymore. But we all do. It may not be sexual temptations or big temptations, but we have them every day. But he went on to write. He wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 30 and 31, And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in, which you, in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily, Paul says. The secret to living the Christian life is dying to yourself and letting Christ come alive in yourself. The second thing we see, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the exchanged life. Jesus can live in your heart. This is sometimes called the exchanged life. The great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, made uh, the term the exchanged life popular. He struggled for many years trying to do the work of God and finding nothing but failure in his life. Then he said he discovered the key to death, the key of death to self and the power of the indwelling Jesus Christ. He said he exchanged his weaknesses for the strength of Christ, and when he did, God started doing amazing things in his life. Hudson Taylor was one of the greatest missionaries ever lived. To this day, still is. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 that we just read, Paul used the personal pronouns I and me seven times if you didn't catch it. Paul had an I problem, and it had nothing to do with his vision. We all struggle with the I problem, the big I. Our ego wants to be in control. I want to be in charge of my life. I want to control things. We all do to some degree. What's the middle letter in the word sin? I. Why is sin such a problem? Because the middle letter is about me. That's why we have this problem we do with sin. What's the middle letter in the word guilt? I. 
That's why we feel so guilty when we do things, because I know I messed up. The central problem of sin, of pride, and of guilt all has the middle letter, I. The big I. It's constantly trying to come climb back on the throne of our life. My ego, my ambition, my desires, what I want is always trying to get on the throne of my life. But Paul says, I'm dead to that. I am dead to it. I died to it. And he says, and I do it every day because it has to come back. In our hearts, many times, the big I in our lives displaces Jesus. We push him to the side and we'll say something like this. We may not say these words, but we think them. Jesus, you just sit over here in this corner and when I need you, I'll call you. And we wonder why we mess things up so much. Every one of us. Because we've got the sin problem. And we will have it as long as we're breathing and living today. But we can put it on the cross, Jesus says, and nail it to the cross. The big eye is constantly trying to climb back onto our throne in our hearts and displace Jesus. Several times a day, we must renounce self and surrender our will to Jesus. Our profession of faith should be, Christ lives in me. If I were to ask you today, and don't raise your hands because I won't embarrass anybody, but are you a child of God today? Just, you know, you can, don't do anything. Just think about that. Then your witness today, your faith, professional faith ought to be, Christ lives in me. And believe that and understand that. Christ with you is good. And Christ for you is even better. But Christ, and Christ beside you is comforting. But Christ in you changes everything. Do you really have Jesus in your heart today? Paul wrote that this is the mystery of God, he calls it. Colossians 1.27, listen to what he says. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Who is the them? You and I. We's the them. He says, when you accept Jesus Christ, you become part of that group. He's speaking of believers. In the Christian life, Christ in you changes your nature. Now, I can't speak for anybody in this room but myself, but I know this. I no longer have a lot of the desires. I'm not saying I don't have any desires, and some of them are not nice desires, but... I not only don't have those anymore that I used to have, God's given me something to take its place in my life. It didn't take overnight. It didn't happen overnight. I was one of those long study cases. He had to go back and get the reference book for, my, for me to deal with. But it's what he's saying is we can put that to death if we will. How do we do that? What do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked because he's going to tell us. One writer said this. Sometimes we try to keep the eye alive and we say, I am going to do the very best I can for Jesus today. No, the big eye needs to die. Let me ask you a simple question. Who could live the Christian life better, you or Jesus? I don't think we rate that high. Do you? Obviously, Jesus can So then why are you still trying to let 
the big eye do it in your life? One writer put it this way. On the day you quit trying to live the Christian life, then you will finally give him the freeway to live it out in you. What is so easy and so simple and so organic for him to do, live, when you do, you're set free from the long list of do's and don'ts, the do you can't do, the don'ts you always do. Why look so shocked? Think about it. You never were any good at living the Christian life. None of us are. Did you realize that the Christian life is impossible for you and I to live? Well, wait a minute. If that's the case, what are we here for? Because it is possible to live it through Jesus Christ. That's how it's possible. There is no way you can live the Christian life. You're not capable. But if Jesus lives in you, he will live it for you. That's the difference. Let's move along. We're getting out of time here. Some of, the, some of you shoppers are quite good at making exchanges. If you buy something you don't like, you don't mind standing in line to exchange it for two or three hours. Can you imagine getting in an exchange line with a toy cell phone, uh, cell phone made of plastic? When you get to the counter, you tell them that you want to exchange this toy phone for one of the new iPhones. I'm not even sure what number we're on now, so I'll just say 5S. They would probably look at you like you're crazy. You can't exchange that for this. What do you mean I can't? It says we can exchange here. Then what if you could make an even exchange? You'd jump at it, wouldn't you? Would you take advantage of that exchange? Of course we would. I mean, even us guys like to shop that way. But it's, that's not possible, I don't guess. Anyway, of course you would. Well, that's what exchange life with Jesus Christ is all about. Let me mention some things that will you will get exchanged when you have Jesus come into your heart. I exchange my weakness for his strength. I exchange my ignorance for his wisdom. I exchange my prejudice for his love. I exchange my anger for his gentleness. I exchange my inability for his ability. Augustine, one of the great leading pastors of the early, early church, he grew up living a wild life of a young man with no regard for sin or righteousness. He was known for his philandering conduct with the women in the, in the city he is in. His godly mother prayed for his conversion, and Augustine eventually gave his life to Christ as a young adult. He was concerned about how he would react when he was confronted with some of the women he had been a part of his past. He was walking down the street in Milan, Italy one day when one of the women from the past saw him and greeted him. Augustine ignored her and kept on walking. She called out, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. But Augustine replied as he walked away, Yes, I know who you are, but it is no longer I. It's not I. That's the way we ought to be. When we come to the place when God washes our lives and changes, we need to leave the past behind us. But you know what a lot of Baptists try to do? They want to keep one foot in the old life and one foot in the new life. You can't do that, folks. It doesn't work. It never works because the sin life will win out eventually, and it will spoil the life that you have now. So this great principle begins with an execution. 
which leads to an exchange. But then it also, Paul says in this verse, Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God, the energized life. There's a massive difference between a person trying to live good, a good life and a person who has surrendered to the goodness of Jesus' life. The truth is that I don't possess enough power or energy to live a good moral life. I'm just a, that kind of person. I was not raised in church. I was almost 20 years old before I came to know Christ. I didn't have a clue what church was. I didn't know anything about it. And it wasn't a few years later that God began to say, well, I'm going to use you as a preacher. No way, Lord, that ain't going to happen. I mean, you better change your expectations because that's not going to be the. We grew up, Judy and I both grew up in the Fort, North Fort Worth area, a little town called Saginaw. And I never met a preacher in my life I even liked, let alone want to be like. But God began to work on me. He says, you don't have to change. I'll change you. And slowly but surely, and it's still taking all these years. I'm not near perfect, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. But isn't that the way with each one of us? When God comes in our life, He changes us. And He begins to give us different desires. If you had asked me 20 years ago, well, probably a little longer than that now, but 30 years ago, if I'd be a preacher, there was no way I'd be a preacher. I mean, no way. But God began to change things. And Lordy, Lordy, look at me now. <laughs> I'm not sure it's a good thing or a bad thing, but anyway, let's just move along. When Benjamin Franklin was a young adult, he established his own religious system to be a good moral person. This is, this is true. In his autobiography, he wrote these words. It was about the time, age 20, I conceived the bold and arduous project of arriving at moral perfection. This is Benjamin Franklin writing this. I wished to live without committing any fault at any time, as I knew or I thought I knew what was right and wrong. I did not see why I might not always do the one and avoid the other. But soon I found out I had undertaken the task of more difficulty than I had imagined. The autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, page 38. Franklin, Franklin enumerated 13 qualities that he called them, that you had to try to attain in order to have a perfect life. He called these moral habitudes, a cross between a habit and an attitude. Here's what they were. They included temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, in, uh, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, chastity, and humility. Franklin took his personal religion very seriously. He had a little book with his 13 moral qualities written down on the side, on the left side of the page. Then he had seven columns for the seven days of the week. He would judge himself, and if he failed or needed improvement, he would make a mark in that column. Each week he would erase the marks and start over. He soon found there were so many marks that erasing them formed a hole in the page. He got a new book, and when, he, when a page would fill up with marks against his plan, he would tear that page out and start over. Later in life, he wrote his autobiography. He reflected on the failure of his system. Here's what he wrote. I never arrived at the perfection 
I had been so ambitious of obtaining, but fell far short of it. In reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue other than our own pride. Disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive and will every now and then peep out and show itself. For even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, page 38. Ben Franklin was a wise man and a powerful individual. However, he admitted he failed in life to obtain perfect morality, perfect purity. He could have saved himself a lot of frustrations and paper if he just applied Galatians 2.20 to his life. We can never achieve more perfection ourselves, folks. It doesn't happen. There is only one person who ever lived a perfect life, and he ain't you, I promise you. His name happens to be Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect individuals. You know what a church is, really, as we come to close here? A church is a hospital for sinners. That's all we are. We're not perfect people. If you're visiting here today and you're looking for a church home, if you're looking for a perfect church, I'll tell you firsthand, you might as well go on down the next one because this one's a long way from being perfect. All we are is human beings with failures and disappointments in our lives. But I believe we desire to be what God wants us to be. And that we can achieve. We're selfish. We get mad at each other. We fuss and fight. We do all kinds of things. And that's called the church. But here's what we are. When somebody walks into our doors looking to find Jesus, I hope they can look at this church and say, I can find Jesus there. That's what we're here for. I've told our congregation several times, this church was not built for the members of this church. Do what? What was it built for? This church was designed and built for people outside these doors that had never stepped foot in this church. Because what we're here for is to bring those outside these walls in to the love and admiration of Jesus Christ. Not us. If they walk in hoping to find a brilliant, great pastor, they're going to be badly disappointed. You didn't have to agree so fast. (laughs) But that's not what we're here for. We are failures in many ways of the Christian life. This morning, let's go back to that verse we read at the first. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Listen to these words now. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's exactly what Christianity is. That Jesus Christ died for us. Think about it. The God of the universe. If I'd have been the only person in the history of mankind that came to know Jesus, he'd have done the same thing. That's how much he loves us. Why? I don't know. I don't understand it. It's beyond my little mind to understand why God sent His Son to die for me. 
but the Bible tells me he did. And because of that, I can have a new life in Christ. Have you done that today? Have you done like cash and accepted Jesus Christ? In just a moment, our group's going to come. They'll be standing over here. Our deacons will be at the side. And it's an opportunity for you. You may be visiting here. We're not going to try to talk you into joining the church. We'd love to have you join the church, but if that's not what you want, that's, that's fine. But I'm going to ask, don't leave this building without Jesus. I know I sometimes sound like I'm trying to be gruesome, but there's not a person sitting in this building that knows and can tell us with confidence that next week I'll be back. No, we don't. None of us know that. It happens every day on our highways around this area, or in all areas for that matter. We don't know what tomorrow holds. I may leave this place today and be driving home and have a massive heart attack and not be back tonight. I don't know. But I know this. If I do, my next breath will be in heaven with Jesus Christ. Are you that way this morning? Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you for this time you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this passage that we've read your word, out of your word. And Lord, we believe that this is so true, that we can have an exchanged life, a changed life, an executed life. And Lord, it can make a difference in our lives and the lives of our families and friends. Because when we change, it changes people around us. Lord, if there be anyone here today that does not know you as your Lord and Savior, as their Lord and Savior, my prayer is that touch their heart. I don't care if they're visiting with us. We're not going to try to talk them into joining this church. If they want to join the church, our doors are open. We'd love to have them to come and be a part and help us carry the message the way you want us to carry it. But, Lord, our main focus in this church is Jesus Christ and nothing else. Open our hearts. Open our minds as we sing this song. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.